This is the one with the TARDIS that's bigger on the outside. Water turned into wine. Air snogging. Some very pleasant primitives. The gentleman from Hush. Yet another Back to the Future letter. And Clara's still blowing. It's called The Name of the Doctor. Here we go! Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. With flipping and angels now. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond indeed, welcome to another episode of Who Back When? <laughs> a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or dog past. <laughs> <laughs> to my left is one great co-host and her name is... Marie! Yeah, it is. And two people over there, one of them is called... Jim, that's me. And the other one is called... Leon, that's uh, me, hi. And I'm Drew Backwen, and that's me. Hello, everyone. Hi, Drew. Hi, Marie. Hi, Leon. Hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. Bing bong, future Drew Backwen here with an admission. This is episode N102, The Name of the Doctor. I do not go on to say this in this introduction. Bing bong. So, everybody, we have reached the end of series seven. Woohoo! We have... Seven seasons, oh my goodness, and very nearly the end of Matt Smith's run, as we have been saying every single time the last handful of episodes. Yeah, sad to see it end. Very sad. Yeah. It's not over yet, come on. All right, fine. I thought Matt Smith was fantastic in this one, and for that reason, I'm all the more, sa- like, devastated, frankly. Are you verklempt over there? I, I, pardon me, I'm getting a little verklempt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can we help you out with that by maybe doing a B-scale? Yeah, let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? We begin upon Gallifrey, a very long time ago, where some kind of idiot is trying to steal a faulty TARDIS from the Time Lord's repair shop. Meanwhile, Clara's all broken up about something and falling down on the job. Elsewhere, Madame Vastra is combing London's prisons for tiny grains of meaning hidden within vast deserts of rhyming twaddle, while Strax is happily battering his way through the huge open-air fight club that is Victorian Glasgow. Turns out the Doctor's grave has been found. Turns out Jenny's left the door open. And turns out the Great Interns and his new heatproof Whispermen regiment are heading for Trenzalore in search of the Doctor's greatest secret. Can Doc, Clara, the Paternosters, and a spectral version of M. River Shyamalan Ding Song save the day and all the Doctor's days? Or is the dangling seventh Doctor doomed finally to lose his grip on his umbrella? Biscow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? I have a question to start off this episode. Wonderful. How many people break the frickin' fourth wall? In this one or in the prequel episodes that we just watched? Well, watching the prequel made it even more obvious. One of the prequels, I should say, is called She Said, He Said, where basically Clara and the Doctor have a monologue each, delivered not looking into a camera, but definitely addressed to us as the audience. And it just carries on throughout this episode. Who does it then? Because I, I don't remember. Yeah, exactly. That 
Well, you've got Clara at the beginning essentially carrying on her monologue, saying, I'm the impossible girl and I'm oh, falling and blah, true. blah, blah. Then you've got Clarence DeMarco when he's saying, do not listen to the whisper men or they will. Turns to camera. Look at you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> and then Richard E. Grant says, we're going into the doctor's tomb or something like that. And he's looking directly to camera. And then at the very end, you've got John Hurt with his name on the screen, also staring you down. Wait, wait, wait. No. Yeah, you're right. That needs its own segment. That can't be lumped in with. Yeah, no, no. We're obviously yeah. going to talk about John Hurt as well. But you are right. What is up with this episode? This is written by Moffat. Is this directed by someone who has a tendency towards this? It's directed by someone who I didn't recognize the name. Saul Metstein. Saul Metstein! Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> He's done Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, A Town Called Mercy, The Snowmen, and The Crimson Horror. Don't remember any breaking of fourth walls in any of those episodes, but interesting that he did The Snowman, given that it's the other with Nell episode. And also, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship gets a slight nod. Yes, it this. does. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Solomon, whatever Solomon his name is. Solomon gets named as part of the bloodbath yes, the exactly. has caused. Solomon the traitor, rather than Solomon also the genocidal maniac who killed off all the Silurians. <laughs> True. It's quite a glowing write-up, really. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Going on this tangent, the other one that's named other than like Cyberman and Daleks was the one that Tennant got. The leader of the Sycorats. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think those are the only two standout things of Doctor Who crossing the line of the Doctor just straight uh, up killed that person? What about the Rachnos? Yeah. He kills like thousands of children. Yeah. Oh yeah, we hear baby Rachnos screaming as they're drowned. Yeah, exactly. While uh, he's wreathed in flame. <laughs> <laughs> Just backpedaling a little bit to the breaking of the fourth wall, we very recently reviewed a classic Who serial, the Leela introduction episode. Planet Sh- of Evil? Face, of, face, evil. Of, face, face of, of Evil. Face of Evil. Something of evil. <laughs> yeah. Nose of, tweak the nose of death. The faces of the robots on the planet of evil. That's the one. And in that one, Tom Baker's doctor materializes and immediately breaks the fourth wall. He just speaks to the audience. And we thought this was rather charming. (laughs) Ish. (laughs) Ish, yeah. Okay, fine. But then in the following episode, you, Jim, hypocrite, you said (laughs) that you were missing that aspect of it. I don't recall this. I must have been rather drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you were. Or maybe I'm misremembering. But is it then that... In small doses, we can tolerate this rather uncharacteristic behavior of the doctors? I don't know. I think it just needs a little bit of space to breathe around it. And if you throw in an explanation here and there, that's not bad. Okay. But I I didn't really notice it, actually, in this one. To be honest with you, I didn't either. I think the only one I noticed was Clara doing it, and I thought that was quite charming. I think that just fed off the cold open, didn't it, really? Or was it the cold open? Or the prequel, you mean? I did not find the prequel charming. I the prequel like shit. That to go on I'm sorry, the prequel is absolute <laughs> shit. We normally get prequels that have something to do with the plot. The one of the two prequels that you just showed us, the one with Renfield in the prison, that one follows the standard format of, oh, this is a natural bit of the story, like a little glimpse at that world. But those two soliloquies where the camera moves in the same motion and the doctor, like, where are they? Why are they in this BBC closet? And why are they both coming? It's just, no, I didn't like it. No. As I said while we were watching it, it's just Moffat autofillating. Lucky man. these, (laughs) These characters, as I've written them, are so brave and funny and clever and brilliant. 
and I'm running out of superlatives, which only I could do because it's my own writing. So I'm allowed because it's that good. But that prequel, more so than the introductory monologue with Clara, like as in the pre-credit sequence monologue, felt just full of spoilers. Why do we find out? Oh, right. So this is where you're heading. This is what you're finding there. You're going to learn these things and you're going to survive because you're talking about it in the past tense. Oh, that's so true. Which is a bit of a bummer. Like, why are you doing that? And my first notes, not having seen that prequel until just now, my first note about the Clara thing was just, oh, straight to spoilers. All right. We get to see her in all those clips of Classic Who. Why? Why are you showing us this? I don't want to see that. I want to see that later on after she's jumped in the time stream. Do you know what, though? Having just shot a poison arrow at Moffat, I think that he is reacting to mistakes he's made previously here. He's trying to do better than in series five, when the silence, we didn't know what they were. And then in series six, they were something completely different. It didn't really hang together. And we were like, how can anybody watching this show be expected to pick up these random threads and make them go together into some sort of mystery? So in series seven, what he's done is he said, right, here is the mystery. And I'm going to put some lines way out of context, way overemphasized. So they seem out of place originally so that you will recognize them when they all tie together at the end. And I'm going to throw in a prequel as well, just so I can really steer you in the direction of what I'm trying to say to you here so nobody gets lost, okay? How's that? I'm not saying he did it perfectly. I just think that's probably what happened. Hmm. I can see them having conceived of a better cold open, which they then cut because it would have undercut the next bonus episode with McGann. And that would have been, let's only focus on one of these classic Who moments. And then Tom Baker or whoever turns around or walks off screen and there is Clara. And that's the, holy moly, she's gone that far back. He's met her and doesn't even realize it. You know, He doesn't remember it even. But then that would have completely cut a little bit of the oomph out of seeing Paul McGann in the bonus episode. My point is, we get to see all these classic scenes in the beginning. In the cold open, I can't remember exactly how it plays out. Is it clear, is she speaking from the future, like she has survived the jump into the time stream? I'm not sure. I think maybe she's speaking from the point of view of falling. No. (laughs) (laughs) But spliced in, we see all these shots of, like, we see the same clips that we see later on. Yeah. Of Tom Baker walks past, Colin Baker walks past in the background, or, well, his doctor walks past in the background, rather. I'm not sure if we get to see, maybe we get to see Hartnell as well. Don't we get to see Troughton running or something? I think that's later. driving a car? I think that's later. Yeah, maybe. The Troughton clip is terrible, by the way. (laughs) Yes. That is just absolutely god-awful. Everything else looks beautiful, and then Troughton's just like, (laughs) running on a beach or something. Yeah. (laughs) In a fur coat. Yeah, that's from the Yeti episode, I'm sure. That's from another Great Intelligence episode. Oh, surely that is some sort of redemption for it. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And we do get to see Yetis in the flashbacks. Oh. I'm pretty sure. We've also forgot that we saw the seventh doctor dangling from the cliff by his umbrella at the beginning and the end. Yes, and what's it called? Dragonfire. Exactly. At the end of part one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already, Podcast Land, head on over to Who Back When and read Michael Ridgway's article on said cliffhanger. Literal cliffhanger. It's very good. So I actually thought in the cold open and obviously later, Clara is always speaking present tense because she says the I don't know where I am phrase which is it an intentional nod is it an intentional reference to the bells of St John 
It has to be. That's another yeah. Moffat episode. It's even in this part of series seven. Wait, but it, wait does it make sense? Well, Sorry, what's the reference? This is what all the people who get uploaded into, I forget the name of the thing, but oh, that's the line they always say. I don't know where I am. I did not catch that. That's awesome. Clara says it as well, doesn't she? She gets yeah, because she does. Yeah. yeah, everyone does. Everyone I think. Does, yeah. Yeah, and when Clara says it, we were like, "Why is she saying that? She's now a tech genius, and she's seen it happen to everyone else. So why is she saying it?" And what I was saying two minutes ago was, she says that back then, and it doesn't make sense, and we rip into it then because now it's a callback. But there wasn't right. any reason for it to be a callback. It didn't really add. A, like she kept saying it, and I did link it to the other episode, but that was the end of it. It doesn't add anything. I think it kind of made sense later in the episode when we see it all happening. Because that's the kind of big picture of her spiraling and she doesn't really know what she's doing and you get more of it surrounding that phrase. But in the cold open, it's just like, why doesn't she know where she is? This is just a stupid line. Is, it, is, <laughs> is this one of the Claras that dies? It's not, is it? No. Because again, if it this was if Clara. it was a Clara that died, it would make sense because she, yeah. she wouldn't remember jumped it. through and doesn't know where she is and she's in the middle of this process and it would all be linked somehow, but that's her past self. Wait, hang on, so when she jumps into the timeline, whatever, when she's falling through his life, or whatever it is she does, when she does that, yeah. <laughs> does she suddenly gain the memories of all the splintered Claras? She is referencing those actions. I is, guess is she it, is all the splintered Claras. It's so she, she, she doesn't really know anything. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are lines saying that she disappears, she does something, all she knows is she has to save the Doctor. She doesn't even know who she is. Because the big question I've got is, do these Claras have lives? Because this is what we've asked before, with particularly the Victorian London Clara. Yeah. But we see a young Clara that... I didn't know if that was meant to be the young version of our Clara or if that was just another version echoed. Because or... there is a line that says, I was born, I say the doctor and I die sort yeah. of thing. But I didn't know whether that was a literal, I was born as a baby or a sort of metaphorical, I was born into this existence. It's not very clear. Yeah, we did talk about this, right? So does she quantum leap into existing people or does it sort of change history by temporarily creating a person that fits into the context? So that person has family and friends and everything like affects their surroundings. I think it's the latter. And I think it's not even that straightforward or neat because Clara says something like, sometimes I cycle through thousands of me in a particular place, and you see different age of Claras in that exact Victorian window. There's, oh, yeah. I don't know, an adolescent one, and then a child, and then maybe even an older one, I think. And so, how does that work? But that, to me, also suggests that she remembers all of this. Yeah. But is it, she just needs to be whoever she needs to be to save the Doctor, so all, all of these versions of Clara in the window are the failed, like, she tried to save the Doctor and couldn't, and so she just keeps going back to the same moment in time until she does save him. Hmm. So it's like Quantum Leap crossed with Russian Doll. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because, well, because what I was thinking is, fair enough, Wivnail goes back in time to kill the Doctor yeah. or to stop him from succeeding every time. You're putting a lot of faith in Clara to think that she can single-handedly stop him. But that also seemed a bit... Pardon me. <laughs> this is hitting me. That also seemed to me just a little not quite thought through. So is it that the great intelligence jumps into his timeline and there are certain branches to parts of his life that are just more susceptible to control, which means that we get to see the same clip from the same angle with the great intelligence and then again with Clara? 
is whoever jumps into his timeline, are they all going to end up at that cliffhanger of Dragonfire? Are they all going to end up wherever, you know, walking through a particular tunnel? Are they all going to tell the Doctor to steal this TARDIS or not to steal a TARDIS at all? And what would happen if he'd stolen a different TARDIS? Well, I'm sure it would have changed something. A different TARDIS wouldn't have malfunctioned at the same times, wouldn't have taken into the same place. It seems as though the second the Great Intelligence jumps into the timeline, we should all be boned. Because at that point, the world has ended a bajillion times over. We have never even been born. (laughs) That grave doesn't even exist. It creates some sort of massive paradox that ends all space and time. Yeah, never mind Strax reverting to being a regular Sontaran. He should be halfway across the universe. Yeah, exactly. It seems really stupid, in fact, to have Strax just change his attitude towards Silurians and forget about his friendship with this particular Silurian but still not to have been affected in a way where he's followed all the steps of that friendship, which inevitably have brought him to the same place as this Silurian. Yeah, because when Jenny goes, she just goes, she just disappears. Wait, yes, exactly. Why a, does she just disappear? Which is a very powerful moment, I thought. It, it was, yeah. yeah. I liked that, yeah. Oh, but More surely... Powerful. Sorry. I think Jim is going to say... No, you th- go for it. I'm thinking the same thing, by the way, guys. <laughs> yeah, as in, that's a very powerful moment. But how can any moment be more powerful than, I'm so sorry, so sorry, I think I've been murdered. <sighs> oh, that was such a good line. That was not what I was thinking of. Oh. But, but yeah, no, you're right. That is an well, incredible scene. That and then the follow-up of Astra just screaming at Strax to save her and yeah. bring her back. Yeah. See, this is what I was going to say, is everything that we've complained about in the previous episode about them not having a relationship, that's all come back. So they are very much a couple and then yeah. you do see the devastation when it well she loses her twice yes yeah. twice yeah. yeah and jenny calls strax alternatively mom but also dear so you get to see all the sides of their relationship vastra vastra <laughs> did i say strax yes yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> a very confused look there. yeah that's fine that's fine sorry i i got my boys and girls mixed up <laughs> are you saying you didn't like their relationship no oh okay how'd you get that Oh, I don't know. I thought it was sarcastic. So how does this... (laughs) (laughs) It's mom and dear. How does that scene where she... Oh, sorry, Drew, you're going to say something. I was just going to defend my honour. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I just mean mom because Jenny is a slightly servile, working class London cockney urchin, but at the same time, they do operate on a level of equality at other times. That's all. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Jenny's Um, much better in this than she was in The Crimson Horror, by the way. Way better. Yeah. She's less whatever the Avengers called. Black Widow. But I think their relationship is very sweet because it's not over the top. They're not like a lovey-dovey couple. But when they light the candle, I think Buster just puts her hand up to Jenny's face and just says, sleep well, my dear, or something. Mm. Yeah. And it was such a... I almost missed it. It took me a second to work out what she'd said. But it was just... It was a really lovely, gentle moment. Yeah. I agreed. I agree. Non-sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the nail on the head, actually. Everyone's just cumulatively hit the same same nail because it's the fact that they aren't thrown into stupid situations. Jenny's not having to fight people in the corridor. Yeah. They're just in a scene together trying to set up a meeting and suddenly they have a relationship in front of us and it makes sense and it works. Yeah. And it's nice. Yeah. And Jenny got a second character note this week when she says, oh, you can't let that awful man go. Nice one, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> So, the awful man. Uh huh. Mm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Clarence DeMarco. 
awful know, man. Renfield. The first time around, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh yeah, this man's got information and that's very important. And yes, Vastra, you've done the right thing. But then actually it was the little prequel we just watched with the whispery guys coming up to tell him the information. Why did they choose this random prisoner that has nothing to do with... Who is he? On- only because this would be a way of getting the information to Vastra. Yeah, but how? There are thousands of prisoners in London. Yeah, they just pick one at random, I think. I think she's heard of the famous singing convict and wants to go and hear his marvellous rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't put him behind bars, did she? Ooh, that's a good one. I reckon that for, if for she 14 did, murders, yes. Yeah, yeah, so if she did, then they just go to her latest closed case. Uh, I feel like they could have thrown in a line to make that clear, because I didn't see that. Anyone else? Really? I'm not sure that You're I remember right that, that from the episode. Yeah, it's very yeah. possible. It definitely needed more writing. I thought for a second that maybe Clarence had been framed for a bunch of murders that the Great Intelligence slash the Whispermen had done. But then the prequel makes it really clear that, no, he was just a massive homicidal maniac. Yeah. <laughs> Who's now going to live a good and long life. <laughs> well done, Clarence. <laughs> But he's going to have trouble sleeping. So wait, what is that about? Is it that the great intelligence goes, I know that you're a bad guy. I'm going to traumatize you even further for life. Yeah, I'm going to make your life seem even longer by making you awake for even more hours of the day (laughs) to enjoy. Until Clarence goes so bananas, he kills even more people. (laughs) It is odd, though, that that's chosen to be included in the prequel, because if you haven't seen the prequel, as I had not done before, you don't get that at all. I mean, that is not established in the episode. Until he's named, I thought they were trying to do a twist on the Jack the Ripper myth. Oh. And like, this, this is the real guy with whatever accent he's got. What accent, what accent do we think he has? Well, yeah. Whom are we going to offend? But it's a very, a very clear accent that you wouldn't It's an Albanian Fagin. It's not clear to anyone in this room. <laughs> As in, it's not like a, a London folk. No, no, that's true. Yeah, because I, I thought this was going to be... Because I've kind of forgotten this character existed. I thought, oh, this must be someone interesting. This must be an actual vampire or something, you know. Hmm. I don't know, it's just some random dude. Random crazy guy. And how does he give Vastra the coordinates? Does he write them down? Yeah, I want to know <laughs> this as well. <laughs> right, I want to... Big circle, little circle. <laughs> Round by a big circle. And it's moving in a circular pattern <laughs> at approximately this velocity. <laughs> Wait, does she have telepathic abilities of some sort? Could she have extracted that from him? And because then later on, when they're in the conference call, we need to talk about this conference call as well. Because I, what? But they're effectively in her subconscious, right? So she just needs to have seen the idea of it. So if she's read his mind, she could then pull that up on a slide Mm. in the conference room. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know where this came from, though. How are they having conferences in their minds? Wait, wait. Renfield doesn't even have access to freaking pens. He must have shown her that Gallifreyan time coordinates through the medium of interpretive dance. (laughs) And then I I twist around like, uh, I twist around like, I can't do the accent. Also, it has to rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Marie, I talked over you there. Um, I'm just really shocked that you didn't all love the conference. I did actually like the conference. I, like the conference. I, I thought it was well. super cool. I just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it Where either. did this come from? It's advanced technology that you can't get your head around, Jim. Okay, okay. Silurian technology. Have Silurians had it's that sort of stuff before, though? Said, we've always been able to time travel. 
just in our dreams. In our dreams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but then they like they incept each other. How does that work? And how did they get the letter to Clara? Back at, to the future letter. At that Again. Time? Like, how did they know where she was when she was? It's, is the doctor giving her like? I expect uh, Clara will definitely be in Thursday, twelfth of November. Well, yeah, because he only picks her up on Wednesdays. Yeah. And why does it have to be exactly this Thursday, though? I don't know. It could be almost any Clara moment, right? Do you know what? It could even have been the Saturday when the episode aired, but no, it was just over a month before. <laughs> <laughs> but it's another Back to the Future moment. The last time that we had one of these was in Blink, when someone shows up and goes, like, oh, I have a parcel for you. Someone told me that they'd seen the end of Back to the Future 2 and that they wanted us to keep this parcel for so long. But in this case, she gets this freaking crazy old envelope, but there's no one accompanying it going, I'm from the Smithsonian Institute and I want to know what this yeah. madness is about. Some posty just going, oh, this has been stuck to the bottom of my back for a very long time. <laughs> I think I better drop it through. Also, if there's this soporific, whatever, time travel conference call poison on the paper, why enclose a candle? And how is it not evaporated by now? Also, and now there's just a crazy poisonous candle thing on the floor. One of the kids is going to pick <laughs> it up and wake up in the conference room by herself. Going, like, oh. uh, hello? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> Well, that would be arty. Yeah, and arty. Be like, What's this? This is rubbish. <laughs> this is rubbish. I don't get this. And because no one else has entered the conference call yet, there's just shit music. And it just says, <laughs> waiting for host to start conference call. <laughs> Welcome to your hell forever, arty. <laughs> the first question Vastra should have asked Clara is, did you use the candle? No, it was the envelope. Of course, you suspicious bitch. <laughs> But she didn't even have time to exactly. use the candle. But that's my point. Why would you enclose a candle? Because the second she reads the letter, she's going to end up in the conference yeah. call. It's very difficult to schedule these conference calls. <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> also, Strax. I mean, Strax is in Glasgow. and He all doesn't have a candle. He just gets knocked out. Exactly. What? Is he just so close to Vastra that the second he falls unconscious, he's immediately inside <laughs> her mind? <laughs> yes. But I do like that scene, though. It's a great scene. Yeah, oh, you'd better use Glasgow, the shovel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the middle of destroying some very pleasant primitives. <laughs> I do Maybe. like that that's where Strax goes on his day off, but I also think, doesn't he travel by horse and cart? Probably. Does it not take him a week to get to Glasgow? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. And five or six horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he eats along the way. Yeah. Another person who's present at this conference call... <gasps> <laughs> Marie, do you want to take this one? Yeah, yeah, go for it, Marie. River, 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 river comes back. River. <laughs> I was very happy to see River. <laughs> take it away, I'm just going to lean back. This I is great. I don't have anything to add. I just think she's great. She was there. Everything was great. <laughs> was there maybe a little bit too much of the old spoilers? Uh, and she said that once. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's just one line of spoilers, but then there are a few occasions which... I, by the way, I love River as well, and she's great in this one. Yeah. But there were a few moments where she was just like, mm, I'm so mysterious and sexy. No, there was not enough of that. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> incorrect. No. <laughs> because I really liked it when Buster gives a tea and she turns it into champagne and they're all like, oh, what did you do? That's How great, did you do? yes. Because last we left her, we were all, oh, woe is River. She's stuck in this boring universe with these boring children that she never wanted and her life sucks and now she's just proved to us that 
her life doesn't suck. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. She's River and she's found the loopholes and she's great. She's living her best life. She kicked those kids out as soon as she could. Exactly. <laughs> Went off travelling. Found a hunky man. <laughs> no, cheat on the doctor. Poor woman. Okay. Leon, you look puzzled. Something's just dawned on me. <laughs> yes. Wait. No, 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 oh. no. Okay, oh wait, wait, wait. Oh dear. The Whisper Man, mm. they... Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. We were waiting. Go back to the beginning. Oh, wait, this is really hurting my brain. All right, so the great intelligence needs to go to a particular point in space-time. Trenzalore, tomb of the Doctor. All they need is the Doctor to be there. Why are they even bothering with this conference call and all that nonsense? Why are they going to Renfield in the prison? Why are they doing all of that stuff? Because the Doctor says the one place I can never go is my tomb. So, so this is the incentive, is that it? Yeah. Okay. And also, the Doctor wouldn't have opened his tomb. He was going to let all his friends die yeah, he through was. heart like, strangulation. But the Great Intelligence doesn't know that River knows his name, right? No. Or that she's even there. Does the Doctor really know that she's there? Does he actually see her and always hear her? He's knocked her. <laughs> he does. <Yeah>. Checkmate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But but all the other occasions when she says something and he tolts Malotes, ignores her. And also, wait, so she's in the library. She's on the computer in the library, right? In the library planners. How is she projecting to all these places? And is she always by his side? And is he consequently always ignoring her? And wait, follow-up question. Was she in all the other episodes that we have hitherto reviewed... But we just didn't see her because the Doctor chose to not acknowledge her. No, because she's only around for the Trenzalore part of this episode because she has kept the conference call link with Clara open. Yep. I think it was more of a sentimental, metaphorical, like you're always with me kind of a thing. I always see you, I always hear you. Right. He doesn't literally see her 24-7. But he sees her now. Yeah. So he sees her now for the first time since the library of right? oh, it, it felt like he had seen her before. Right, exactly. Because if that's the first time you've seen her since the library, you would have some reaction, surely. Also, if she can enter this other conference call, then that means that she is not just stuck as a prisoner forever in the library planet. So why is she ever sent back? Why doesn't Vastra go, hey, honey, come with me. Let me dream up something much nicer for you so you don't have to take care of these imaginary yeah, children forever. She can only be in it when Vastra's unconscious. But yeah. she's not when Clara's. Clara's awake. Clara's awake. That's yes, you're true. right. She just needs to link on to someone, apparently, and not hang up. She could just <laughs> live in Vastra's dreams yeah. forever. Well, until, well, until Vastra dies. dies. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> In fact, this might provide her with an exit. Because otherwise she is immortal. The river? Yeah. Well, she had her exit because she couldn't let go until she'd had a proper goodbye from the doctor. And now she has. She's going to get a proper goodbye from Capaldi next year. Is she? Oh, have you not seen those? Well, I have. I can't remember. Oh, okay. (laughs) In summary, it's complicated. But I liked her being in here. I liked her (laughs) interacting with the doctor. They are wonderful together. Yeah. Oh, they really always. are, yes. Yeah. Like, it was very heartfelt, the kiss, and then it being just switched around and being a comedy moment worked brilliantly as well. Do you feel that yeah. she has better chemistry with Smith than she later on does with Capaldi? I don't really remember. She only gets one episode with Capaldi, doesn't she? she oh, really maybe is, it is just the really one episode. Smith's wife, essentially. Hu- Husbands yeah. of River Song, or whatever it's called. Is that the 27-year... Yeah, I think so. It's the Christmas robots and then their honeymoon. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All fair. 
I'm with Jim in that the dialogue they share together. Yes, you're always here to me and so on. That is lovely. And this episode, yes, we can pick it apart, but I feel like it's so good overall that I almost don't care. And, you know, when you're dealing with timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, shitey-whitey science fiction, <laughs> sometimes maybe that's the best you can aim for, like to make it so good in all respects, apart from plausibility and coherence, that you just go with it. I feel like applauding that because that's exactly uh, how I feel. It, I sat here going, they're all saying bad things about it. Why are they saying bad things about my favourite episode? Look at you. Can, can I say the for the record? Favourite record's... episode? Wait, I, wait, wait, wait. What? I mean, I've, like... I don't know for sure. I haven't ranked them all, but I do like I stupidly loved this episode. Yeah. Well, same here. Can I say for the record, I have already rated this episode. I did last night. I have not changed my rating and I probably won't. And it is crazy stupid high. I, I also love this episode. And that includes River Song. Did you cry? Hands up who cried? Everyone but me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, a little t- like that whole segment has just come off the back of the run new clever boy and remember, oh. which just gets the addition of me. And she's just thrown her life possibly away, Clara. This is sacrifice done properly. She thinks she is going to be absolutely broken into smithereens and she doesn't have a second thought about herself. She just thinks this man is important and I love him and I need to save him. And that's the only thing that goes through her head. Uh, It's beautiful. Yeah. And just adding me to the end of it, it just... It's perfect. It just makes you break and just realise what she's doing. and, And then it all goes, goes and goes and goes and goes. And then we get River and the Doctor, and it's just like, bam, bam, bam. The ending of that is just incredible. Goodbye, sweetie. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. When does he say, who says that? Before she, before she evaporates. Yeah. Oh, Oh my goodness. I wrote that note in full caps, because (laughs) it was just, well, I mean, she's been saying hello, sweetie, forever. And now, and now that's what we get. That was the closest (laughs) I got to crying. Drew, again, I thought you were saying that as a negative thing, but you loved it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, this land, is just he, my tone. He really, <laughs> you really loved it, Podcast oh. Land. Oh. I really liked, he asked, how do I say goodbye? And she says, say it like you're going to come back. Oh, I love yeah. that scene as well. It's beautiful. So nice. And he takes a breath and yeah. a step back. Prepare and he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to pretend yeah. for her. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote a note, when Moffat's at his best... Almost every line in a scene is quotable. Yeah. Yeah. And there were just too many to write down in my notes for this episode. Mm. You know what? Moff, come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We forgive you. Come back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We love you. I also feel like while we're waxing lyrical, I said in some previous episode about how RTD could really command the spectacle and Moffat could do the clever, clever. But here, I think he does both. Yeah. He carries the whole package. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. it's a meaty package at that. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, here we uh. go. How difficult is it to find the doctor's grave when it's a hundred foot tall fucking TARDIS? <laughs> <laughs> Jim, do you want to take this one? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Who's trying to find it? Everyone, apparently. They know where it is. It's on Trendelaw. They just can't open it without him. I just wonder why it's taken so long. And there's like, oh, do you know what? It is discovered. Well, of course it's discovered. Nobody tried to hide it. It's like the landmark. It's like on the front of the Lonely Planet Guide to Trendelaw. It's the only thing. It's a one-pager. It's just, the TARDIS is here. This is where the timey-wimey stuff doesn't work again, isn't it? Because also, this is the site of a big battle that the Doctor has yet fought. But everyone seems to know about it. Apart from the Doctor. Yeah. Wait, is this the Time War? 
Is this no. the last battle of the Time War or something? I don't think... Because I think they mention the Time War and they say that it's not... The last great Time War is what they refer to. Yeah, you're right. This, I think, so that's yeah. like in the past from yeah. the point of view of this episode, weirdly. It's, someone said something about surviving the Time War and then dying here. And it's like it wasn't as big a battle. A minor skirmish. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. I think it's the Great Intelligence. I think this is, is his big spiel. Yeah. Right. Also, okay, but how many graves does the TARDIS crush when it just plummets into oh. this graveyard and sends tombstones flying everywhere? And also, the TARDIS grave, as in the actual tombstone, it's the TARDIS that we see in this episode, because when it falls, the window cracks, and the same window is cracked in the gigantic TARDIS. So this is his TARDIS. Well, it's his TARDIS from that point on, unless he fixes the window in it. Any episode from yeah, but he gets a completely new TARDIS uh, very soon with a new interior. Like, everything about it is new. But the, right? but the outsides don't really change, do they? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The outside changes. The windows certainly change. And, I mean, he repairs it. And the door swinged in different directions. There's sometimes a sign on the front door. Sometimes there's not a sign. Sometimes there's a phone on the inside. Sometimes there's a phone on the outside. Mm. I think I'm right in saying that come the day of the Doctor, the very next episode, there will be no crack in that window pane. Probably. So, question remains. This TARDIS grave presupposes that there is no next Doctor and that he dies here. So it almost presupposes, you could say with a lot of wibblies and wobblies, that the Great Intelligence won. Because if he won, there will be no more Doctor. And we don't say that he undid the Doctor. We just say, oh, he ended the Doctor at this point. And then, fine. So there is no 12th Doctor and there's no 13th Doctor. But there are. <laughs> so does that mean that by having Clara jump into the time stream and save everyone, does that mean that there will no longer be a TARDIS tomb? I, on think, you, for I think you must be right. And I thought watching this episode a second time what this episode lacks more than anything else is a final five minutes yes and i think in those final five minutes the doctor could liberate himself and clara from his time stream and we could see how on earth that's affected we could have a little sentimental moment with the paternoster gang up top and we could see the giant TARDIS sort of dissolve and they get back into the TARDIS and the number of Doctors is restored to potentially infinity. Yeah, I agree. There's one part of the ending which is addressed in the trivia, which I also thought was missing, because when he finds her inside himself <laughs> yeah, and just goes, here, come with me, yada, 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 like the freaking Pennywise clown. It's like, here, come with oh, me. <laughs> but then cut to, it's done. Like, we're now happy, everything's jolly, but how do they escape from there? And the only thing that it said in the trivia was that the script called for him carrying her out of his time stream, but he had injured his knee and therefore couldn't lift her, like, he couldn't carry her. Mm. So they didn't shoot that. Was this the same dodgy knee that stopped him playing for Leicester City? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but then they didn't shoot any of the other stuff, because presumably he would have carried her out and that would have led into an actual scene of... Oh, wow, you saved her. And maybe the stars flick back into the sky yes. and everything's restored. But we didn't get that either. But yeah, I think your theory absolutely works in that this has ended his life here because Clara says, like, I've seen all your faces and you are number 11. Yes. Yeah. She, she says you're the 11th any, doctor. She doesn't or... see any future because at this point, when we are introduced to the time stream, he says, it's all the days I've lived and the days I am yet to live, like future days as well. Yeah. 
and she doesn't see any future days. Therefore, this is his last day. This is where he dies. And then she changes that. Oh, guys, seriously, (laughs) I feel like we just cracked it. (laughs) Yeah, I think I must have already assumed it. I I didn't know why at all, but I think I did assume that this had changed things and that is no longer where he dies. So do we ever see what happens on Trenzalor? You remember this way better than I do. I don't think I do remember this that well. I remember him being old. Yes. Wait, is that on Trenzalor? I don't know. That's the planet called Christmas, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. Oh, so does he never go back to Trenzalor after this episode then? Possibly not. I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know. Cut to the next episode. Meanwhile, on Trenzalor. <laughs> <laughs> I've got another suggestion for another five minutes of this episode. Okay. Why, when the great intelligence goes in, we see him sort of lurking and looming and turning things red. Why does Clara then, when she turns everything back to blue, not be kicking his ass in every scene and diverting the doctor left when the great intelligence would have made him turn right? That's a super duper good question. We never get to see the great intelligence again. No. It seems like the great intelligence doesn't really matter. Is he dead thing. now? It suggested that that's what was going to happen, so we have to assume so. Yeah, but, well, Clara didn't die. But because the doctor rescued her. Yeah, exactly. Somehow. Oh, what a total bummer. She, well, she didn't die at all. She would have just got stuck in his time stream in that place where she didn't know where she was. She would have been to the doctor what River Song could have been to Vastra. River Song would never be that to Vastra because she's an independent woman who does not like to be tied down. Yeah, but River Song right now is tied down in fake shit suburbia made up by a man, the 11th Doctor. Infinite Library. I bet she's worked out to tweak the system. She doesn't have time for the she Infinite Library. She has to it. hang out with fake friends and take care of fake children that never grow up and always have to be tucked into bed. No, I don't believe that's where River is. I believe she's changed the algorithm and she's living in her best life. Oh, oh yeah, like, well, that's like, probably true. <laughs> like the doctor did in Extremis? Wait, like what Capaldi now? did when he was part of the giant simulation run by the, was it the monks or whatever, and he managed to sort of punch her through to the real world? Oh, so, yeah. Of a billions of years. Oh, that's heaven sent. Yeah, death in heaven is the missy one, isn't it? Yeah. Another very, very strong reason for changing the ending slightly Yeah, is so that no one would even get slightly tempted to slap up introducing John Hurt <laughs> as the Doctor. I'm sure that in the next bonus episode, we get to see introducing John Hurt as the War Doctor. I was thinking it said War Doctor. I thought I was point. expecting to see it in this one. Yeah. I'm sure I've seen it in someone. It's really, really stupid and annoying because he literally just says, he's not the Doctor. And then it tells you that he as is the, the doctor. doctor. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. But why doesn't Clara recognize him? Yeah, wait, why? Yeah, he's the secret, but wait. He's still there, isn't he? Exactly, he's still there. He's literally there. (laughs) Surely this is the one thing that if you, as the great intelligence, want to undo the one thing, it is undo the doctor winning the time war. And killing the 10 billion, which he talks about. Yes. I assume yes. that's when he killed the yes. 10 billion. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was that one time. <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing that I kind of, to explain why Clara doesn't recognise him, is that if he really, he's never called himself the Doctor, is this anomaly, he's a secret, and nobody, he's never been associated with the name the Doctor, then maybe in the Great Intelligence's databanks, he's not listed under the Doctor, and they don't know what the secret is, that's what they're trying to find out, and therefore... 
he just kind of slips through and the great intelligence hasn't gone to him in the time stream because they don't know that it's the same person. So Clara doesn't follow blah, blah, blah. But then slapping this whacking great John Hurt as the doctor then completely undoes all that. Yeah, it turns it back into a TV show. Yeah. Well, I don't care what it says. Yeah, the Doctor, I just hate that there's text flashing up on the screen. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) It could say fluffy bunnies for all I care about. It's just shit. (laughs) I want to redo that scene and it says fluffy bunnies for all I care. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the teaser for this episode, by the way. (laughs) If I have time, I'll do that. But but what does anyone gain by it? Anyone who knows who John Hurt is, is screaming at the telly, fucking hell, John Hurt. And anyone who doesn't know who John Hurt is, is like, what the fuck's that name mean to me? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as he talks, you know it's John Hurt. Most people know who John Hurt is, surely. On either side of the pond. Just don't put text on my screen. Yeah, yeah. Even if you don't know, the fact that it says as the doctor, that's the holy moly moment, right? What? There's another doctor that I didn't even know about? Well, no, because Smith has just said there isn't, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. I say Smith has made it very clear that guy is a version of himself. He doesn't call himself the doctor. What's all you need? Done. Turns around, says something. What does he actually say? I forgot. But, you know, it's quite grand and it's just like, yeah, it's John Hurt. It's John fucking Hurt. And then, yeah. Right. Now that I think about it, yeah, the yeah. War Doctor is a bit of a shit title, isn't it? <laughs> Why have the Doctor General? Yeah, exactly. The Soldier. In fact, isn't that what McGann Doc says? He gets the choice between: Do you want to be a healer? Do you want to be a whatever? I need to rewatch this. Or do you want to be a soldier or warrior? Warrior, something like that. Yeah. Warrior. I don't know. So why isn't John Hurt as the warrior? Yeah. Turns into 1960s musical, 70s. The warrior is the perfect antithesis to the Doctor. Yeah. Wait, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm glad you're with me on that. (laughs) I'll down this so I can have more vodka. What he says is, I did what I did in the name of peace and sanity. And the doc says, but not in the name of the doctor. Yeah. I quite like that, actually. Yeah. The the title coming in as an actual line in the episode, but also a twist on what you've thought it referred to up to this point. Yeah. Because it's meant to be the actual name of the doctor being the secret. Which I was thinking, actually, maybe that was a total red herring. But no, of course, that is used as the way to get into his tomb. It is, yeah. yeah really so, that, uses so there are two secrets here. They do want to find the name of him so they can get into the tomb. But the doctor himself is really keeping this other thing as his main secret. Yeah, that's true. And then there's a, the other secret that's kept from just us, the audience, which is Clara. What the shit? Yeah, and there's the secret of what has Trenzalor meant all along, because we've been hearing this name for a while. And apparently it's just a planet-wide cemetery. Wait, okay, hang on. Is this not another case of something that we've been talking about on Classic in the last few episodes? Is this not another case of the Star Trek phenomenon of, let's go down to that planet? Yeah, with its three miles of area. That's it, yeah. They tumble down to this planet and they end up within walking distance of River's fake grave and everything else. At least this planet, I kind of thought it looked like it was dead and it exploded. And it, was probably it looked not, like it was covered in lava and shit. There's probably not a lot that you can actually stand on. So maybe yeah, that's the, true. the only bit you can go to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and the, and the TARDIS is going to go into geostationary orbit above where the Doctor sets its destination coordinates as so i i, I get oh. that turning off the gravity plummets it into the exact right position okay yeah fair enough 
Fair enough. You said the title of the show is brought in. I did. We get a Doctor Who. We get multiple Doctor Whos. We do. How do you feel about that? Uh, I let it pass. I didn't really hate it or love it. I feel like in this episode, if you're going to give them an allowance, then this is entirely about the name of the Doctor. Yeah, that's true. Then is the name of the Doctor John Hurt? Wait, what now? Excuse me? Is that just his name? John Hurt. Wait, what? The actor? What? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, it's hiding in plain sight. Oh, I see. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Marie! <laughs> We're too stupid to understand what yeah, sorry. Marie is like light years ahead of us. You're like, there's two secrets, but what if they're the same secret? <laughs> and that's what the writing was about. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can call that. <laughs> no, it's great. No, it's Absolutely great. <laughs> so I'm I'm still I'm just wondering if the doctor is real and it is John Hurt. <laughs> so Another random callback, which I rather liked, because we did discuss whether it would come back, which is when we're doing the journey into the TARDIS, and everything all gets hand-waved at the end of it, Clara starts to remember it. Oh, yes. And I love that scene where the Doc kind of loses it a bit, and it's just like, who are you, like, you possible girl, and spills the beans, and then she forgets it all. Girl who? Girl who? (laughs) (laughs) And it's or, nice. or maybe girl how <laughs> how girl who so Wait, have we ever pointed out that she's not a girl uh-huh. I don't know I've kind of got along with this and I don't know in certain situations it just seems to fit Marie sighed would you like the microphone oh not really just <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know it's a cuter name than impossible woman I don't know yeah but yeah do you think if it was impossible woman it would sound impossible tainted. woman she yes. sounds like a superhero Oh, I was thinking it's like, oh, can't do anything with an impossible woman. <laughs> Is it just meant to be a parallel to the girl who waited? Yeah. Probably. And she actually was a girl. Exactly. Yeah, she me. was a child. Yeah. Is it basically just marketing so that when the BBC inevitably release the two DVD box sets, the girl who waited box sets and the impossible something box set, they want them to look nice next to each other on a shelf? Very, very probably. Hmm. Can any of it be explained by this is a kid's show and girls will find her more relatable if she's not demarcated off as a woman? As an adult? Yeah. I mean, obviously she is an adult, but... But he's a mad man with a box. He's not a crazy boy. Yeah. I mean, she does say, run, you clever boy. Oh, that's true, actually. That is true, yeah. That is true. Lawyered. You know, I think there is a lot in there. I think they play up the kind of childish nature of both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, through this last series, at least. So, some other names the Doctor gets thrown at him. Aha! I just looked up one of them. Storm. Mm-hmm. We, which we, He's the oncoming Storm. We've heard exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. yes. Not just Storm on its own, have we? I don't know. Mm. The Beast. Have we heard this? <laughs> the Beast. <laughs> yeah, by his lovers. <laughs> <laughs> He's an absolute beast. <laughs> I'd go so far to say he's the Beast. <laughs> We should just see River licking a huge lollipop. <laughs> great intelligence says that. <laughs> <laughs> Any more, Arjun? Yes. The... Is it Valyard or Valyard? Valyard. Valyard. Which I am super excited to get to that at oh, some point too. in classics. 
Is that from Trial of a Time Lord? He shows up in a serial called The Ultimate Foe, and that might be part of the trial. I'm not sure if it is. So I, I might be wrong with this, but as far as I understand it, this is apparently the Doctor is put on trial at some point, and they bring an incarnation of all his worst bits from around this kind of time, actually. I think it's going to be around the 12th doctor kind of period, and they just make a version of the Doctor to face trial with himself. That sounds incredible. I didn't know. That's more than I knew. Looking him up on TARDIS Wikia, it says he is an amalgamation of the Doctor's darker sides. Yeah. That sounds awesome. He looks spectacular, by the way. Hang on, wait. He's got, like, a black bald cap, and he looks oh, wow. just... But he's not a bald cap. He has evil versions of all the Gallifreyan robes that we've seen to date. And he faces off against Colin Baker, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the ultimate foe. Mm-mm. The Whisperers, or the Whispermen. What do they speak in rhyme? To be annoying. Sometimes I find them cloying. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do another one. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Let's <laughs> try something with cloying. Do you think that's a way of making them, sort because of, they're quite scary looking, but make them accessible to, children, like it's a kid's show, make it like kind of nursery rhyme Oh, that's true. No, that was Marie. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but why? I mean, this is the great intelligence. This isn't the relatable intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I don't think I was that bothered by them. Why the Whispermen or their rhymes? Everything. I don't know. The rhymes were a little out of place, though, weren't they? Oh, the rhymes were horrible. But the Whispermen, I, they look kind of scary, but I don't think there was enough established about them. They just sort of start popping up and... Yeah. Don't know, you don't get enough of an idea to be scared or to feel the threat. I was quite scared when Withernail ripped his jaw yes, off. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and yeah, then there's nice. nothing, and then immediately... He turned, morphs into... Morphs in, one of them morphs into him again. Yeah, exactly. And, and then does that like, mean that there's like a weird Withernail suit, like a hollow Withernail suit just in a pile on the ground <laughs> next to them? <laughs> oh, don't mind him, we do this. Like every time he snags his foot on a nail somewhere, this happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's really cool because... It means you basically can't kill him because another one will just replace him every time. Yeah, but what what are they? But and how many of them are there? I don't know. And also, he's not massively threatening. So the fact that there's another one of him, isn't that scary? Oh, but when one of them reaches into Strax... Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh. And just grabs him around the heart inside yes. his body. And Strax says, don't worry, sir, I think I've got him rattled. <laughs> <laughs> Strax oh, is the best. Oh, God, I love Strax. Strax is so good. <laughs> that really shook me. Yeah. That I was very close to thinking all of his companions are just going to die. How can he stop them? Yeah. Well, he could stop them by saying his name out loud, but he... It did seem up until that point, like, it was relatively easy to just quite literally resuscitate your companions. Yeah. Because Jenny is dead, and it just takes a gadget to undo the drama that we just had of her having died. Yeah. Yeah. That is very cheap. Yeah, it Mm. was very cheap. And presumably that's what they had done to her? Wait, how do you mean? Well, if Strax can resuscitate her... Oh, right, her yeah. Heart had yeah, you're right. You're right. So all they have to do is chase them out of the conference room and then just use this Sontaran gadget on her. Oh, but Vastra, she doesn't know how to operate that stuff. She doesn't have access to that technology and he's stuck in Glasgow. Yeah. 
I just meant more in on the line of what Drew was saying that no, you're both saying it. That this is the one thing that's threatening about the Whispermen, but they've managed to counteract it that easily. Mm. Yeah. And the only thing that's different now is that they've been taken to Trenzalore. I kind of forget how. That, how do they, they just yeah. appear wait, there? Wait, that's a super good point. How does this happen? Because I, I was sort of scribbling down notes and I looked up and they were all there and I was like, oh, I missed it. And I rewound it and they just literally appear there. Because the reason Jenny is dead on Trenzalore is that she was killed in their home back yeah. in London. But they all get transported there somehow. Yeah. What? Maybe the great intelligence? I guess. It seems like the Great Intelligence could have just thought of a slightly more intelligent plan and then not have needed any of these well, people. Think, if the Great Intelligence can take them all and transport them to Transylor, why can't they just transport the Doctor to Transylor? Why even do that? If mm, Potential addition to this, another prequel. Here's a third prequel to add to the roster of BBC adverts for this episode. And the two postquels we've also written. <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry, sequels. That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) Have another prequel where the great intelligence, where Withnell and his cronies show up on Trenzalore without anyone else. And they try and try and try to get into the TARDIS. But they can't. So now he has to figure out a way to open it and he starts with the jam and the red string and that then forms this cat's cradle network of red string that ties Vastra to Renfield in the prison to Jenny and whatever everyone and eventually to the doctor yeah you know what let's see the great intelligence if he's so intelligent do some Sherlocking and mm. do some really methodical exactly thinking. exactly yeah also, Vastra is meant to be the... We still have not had her prove that she is the greatest detective. No. Well, she put that chappy away who'd killed her. But we didn't people. get to see that. We didn't yeah. get to see that. And also, we're just speculating that she did. <laughs> and we know that Team Moffat can write a kick-ass Sherlock series, write another Sherlock episode, but then like replace all the characters and put Vastra in the middle. You know when she could have had a moment to shine, actually, is when the Doctor is wiped out on the ground... The general intelligence is about to go into his time stream and the doctor is screaming, stop him. No one does. Clara comes over and comforts the doctor and then everyone else just stands there and the great intelligence just wanders into the time stream. And then they all carry on standing there. (laughs) (laughs) Like Bastard could at least at this point said, well, you're the impossible girl. It's nice that River has the interaction, I suppose, but Mm. what's the point in having the Paternosa gang there? If they can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, also, Vastra is a Silurian. Why is Strax doing all of the attacking? Why is Vastra never whipping out her acid tongue at some point? Just to, yeah. just to whip off a Whisperman's face. Wait, she has the acid. Yes, you're right. What? She could have poisoned people. Shitballs. Well, could have tried anyway. I'm sure the Great Intelligence would have found a way around it. But, you know, use the powers of everyone in the scene to the utmost, it, or we will come looking for them later. In the Crimson Horror, we also got to see that Jenny was the Black Widow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for the fact that we don't have her ninja kicking everyone, because that was super naff in the last one. So it's good that we don't have that here. But since we've established that she is also quite gung-ho, that means we have two gung-ho people on set do anything out of desperation. You know that you're going to be undone if you don't do anything. So do something. 
Actually, you know what? You saying the word gung-ho made me realise Jenny was never more gung-ho, obviously, than in the Crimson Horror. And in this episode, I don't think she's ever been more meek than here. Yeah, that's, that's true. Jenny has just come back from the dead. Can we not cut her a bit of slack? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm all of a slack. That's fine. Probably she's a bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does anyone remember what the significance of the doctor saying breathe relates to? Well, he used to say breathe to Amy when she was pregnant in the other dimension. That's where I'm remembering yeah. it from. Who does he tell to breathe? When Clara's about to step into the time stream, I think. Does he? He's, oh. he's lying, lying flat yeah. out on his back and, and just sort of goes, breathe. <laughs> breathe. As, I, can't as she... I can't do it. I want to <laughs> so desperately. I can't do it. Breathe. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, I think it's as, as she runs around him to get a proper look at the thing she's about to do. And I wasn't sure if it was a slight reference to the leaf blowing in the wind or I don't oh, know yeah, yeah. but I, d- I couldn't really get it I wasn't sure what it was hmm. and what does he say when the door to his tomb open does he say please is yes it? yeah because I, re- I rewound that as like because it's a bit of a garbled line it's like did he say his name then? I don't think he said his <laughs> name <laughs> is his name please yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it was <laughs> doctor please <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who is not a natural way of asking him what his name is. No. <laughs> no. Oh, we've had that conversation before, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have it again. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Mind if I rattle off a couple of quotes of Strax's? Ah. A couple of Strax quotes? Go for it. Surrender your women and intellectuals. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I thought that was a good one. <laughs> it's, it's much better in the voice. Sorry, little girl. Normally he refers to women as little boy. And in this one, a little boy shows up in Glasgow with a telegram and he's like, sorry, little girl. Uh So I thought that was kind of fun. That whole scene with Archie, the giant Glaswegian. (laughs) And even when he says, it might take a while, and then Archie just knocks him out cold with one (laughs) mighty thwack. And the shot of him bearing down. In fact, Archie breaks the fourth wall as well, I think. He basically twats the camera with a spade. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all great. Any more straxisms? No, I actually only had two. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, let's do rating, shall we? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Come on then, Leon, let's hear your super high rating. <laughs> super high. <clears throat> it is really high. I haven't changed it since last night. I'm, however, thinking that it might not be as high as some other people in this room <laughs> will give this. Keeping it relatively short and sweet, this is a fantastic episode. And as we are ramping up and we are approaching the 50th anniversary and the end of Smith, I feel like maybe more energy and effort has gone into these episodes, not just in production value, also in plotting, in writing, in acting, in everything. Everyone's giving 150%. This episode provides a confluence of myriad mysteries all coming together and being solved-ish in one fell swoop. And in the process, we get a couple of new ones. The Great Intelligence is wonderful, although again, Withnail, Richard E. Grant, criminally underused. I want to see so much more of Richard E. Grant. I don't want him to just step into a beam of light and be disintegrated forever. Please come back, Rich. The Doctor is wonderful. Wonderful in all caps. 
Clara, possibly even more so. The Paternosters, oh, I can't stay mad at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the ending is a little rushed with everyone being endgamed without then giving us a proper conclusion and a send-off into the next episode except the tenuous text plate advertising the mystery non-doctor. But still, I do love this episode, so I'm going to give this... 4.6 fluffy bunnies for all I care. <laughs> Damn, you stole my way. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right, who's next? Oh, you know what? I'm going to put my index finger on the tip of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> but Drew didn't. <laughs> I'll go next. All right. We have picked holes in this episode, but mm-hmm. my notes are strewn with little points like, what a setup. I think I can remember being flabbergasted the first time I saw this. And then stuff like, marvellous beginning. This would be up there with the top first 10 minutes of any Doctor Who episode. So I can't make a secret of the fact that I loved it. I did have some problems. Chief among which is the text plate of John Hurt knocking it down. We don't get to see Clara kicking the great intelligence's ass. She just follows him in and then is there. And we don't see how Doc breaks back out of his time stream. Not here or in the day of the Doctor, which I thought that might have been the first two minutes of, weird as that might have been. So that's other stuff taken off. But otherwise, it's so good. All the jam and string are gathered together and some flaws from previous episodes get redeemed where lines that are once out of place find their place. The leaf, which had too much meaning in a carton, works <laughs> here, which serves to highlight how Moffat didn't need to over-egg his souffle. Some callbacks only make you wish they'd been set up better, such as Solomon's death. How is his name in any way as important as the 10 billion? He's not needed. Moffat might have thought we needed to see Doctor being a bastard rather than basing the great intelligence's motivation on mere reportage from classics or future episodes. But then I ask you, why not make the great intelligence more evil? And just be like, well, actually, it's not really about that. I've got terrible motives. My guess is, because Moffat reveres intelligence too much, he couldn't bring himself to make the embodiment of cleverness an utter villain. It's like when Rory started sympathising with the devil himself in the Satan pit, because because the devil was acting like a dog. And then there are the shitty rhymes which let it down this episode of High Renown. It's nearly perfect. (laughs) Then he fucks it right up with a silly couplet. Just stick to normal speech, you muppet. (laughs) Come on, less poetry indeed. But I was taking 0.1 off for all these points individually. And they started piling up. And I thought, no, I'm just going to take 0.05 off for each of them. Because I can't give this episode less than a 4.5. It's just fab. Nice. Wow. All right. All right. Oh, you know what? Nicely rhymed as well. Good stuff. Excellent. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Yes. Good chair. Nice golf applause there. Right. Who's next? I shall follow that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was not impressed. (laughs) Because I also, you might have guessed how I feel about this episode in which River, Song and Clara (laughs) come together in order to save the Doctor without him even realising. You might have a fair inkling of what my review is going to be. Five point oh. (laughs) I note all your negative points, Drew, and I care squat about any of them. (laughs) 
with the exception of the John Hurt as the doctor, <laughs> I had to take actually the same as 0.05 off of that. So, yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else I've written is positive. I shall read some excerpts for you. <laughs> <laughs> Open your books on the page. <laughs> if you would like to read along with me. <laughs> okay, so there were some really... Uh, we've talked a lot about great things. Blah, blah, blah. There are some just like really little moments that were... You're killing me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Little moments that went under the radar that were very subtle and then therefore I think even better because you don't have to shout about everything. There was a line right in the beginning when the kids are tricking the doctor by going to the cinema and he calls them the little Daleks. That was really cute. Really cute. When they end up on Translore and he says it's the most dangerous place in the universe and he's really worried to be there, he reaches out for Clara's hand and they walk off together holding hands and it's such a, it's a wide angle shot, the camera pans away from them and it's not made a big deal of at all, but it's so sweet that they're just, he reaches out to her. Um, yeah. Just a boy and a girl facing off against the great unknown. Exactly. I love River and Clara when she's like feeding the lines and then Clara's repeating them back. But the doctor can hear the whole thing. He hears Clara's interpretation of what River has just That's said. him being a dick ex. Oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> but then he redeems himself with the big smooch at the end. And there, River and the doctor's interaction was so beautiful. I was in floods of tears yeah. the whole thing. Hmm. Clara when she starts remembering the past conversations that they've had and she starts working out who she is and the fact that Clara comes up with I am the impossible girl this is what I have to do I'm going to throw my I'm going to effectively end my life to save his I'm going to throw myself into this thing nobody else tells her or guides her or suggests it to her she has her own autonomy in that scene and that's beautiful oh my gosh and then when she <laughs> when she fought when she goes in it and she just says spare me a thought now and then that breaks oh. my heart and mm. um, the way that the time stream is described says it's the tracks of my tears scar tissue of my journey through the universe i thought was really beautiful the color coded according to good guy bad guy it does not say that it's <laughs> <laughs> not in my quote book <laughs> <laughs> I loved Run You Clever Boy and Remember Me. Yeah. And I really loved, really, really loved, right at the beginning, the doctor says he has a secret he will take to the grave. And the camera, I think at that point, is on Clara and it cuts to him. And he is welling up. He is crying. He is so emotional. And it was so unexpected. I wasn't ready for it. And it really got me. It got me so choked up right at the beginning of the episode. And then the rest of it just carried on. So yes, I'm taking off 0.1 for the stupid John Hurt thing. Because I like John Hurt, he's great. Just If it just ended three seconds before it ended and we didn't see the stupid text on the screen, it would be a perfect episode, but it's not. So we give it a 4.9. 4.9. All right. See, I knew I wasn't going to have the high score. <laughs> I reckon some members of Podcast Land are going to go, why do these four individuals hate that text blade so much? <laughs> They're fools. <laughs> right, Jim. That just leaves me, then. It's all on you, dude. I think it's all been said, really. I also... I have nitpicked. I have questioned. But I also don't care. Mm. 
I super love this. The emotion was definitely there. Matt Smith's portrayal, that scene you mentioned just at the end there, Marie, of him just breaking down very early on about realizing he was going to have to go and see his grave is incredible. And Clara's on brilliant form. River's on brilliant form. Everyone gets to interact in lovely little scenes. I think probably every duo you would expect to interact, and even some you don't, have a nice scene together in this one episode. It's just very well written from that point of view. Yes, there are problems with timey-wimey stuff and what have you. It's Doctor Who, we get that. But it just doesn't let up. It just keeps you on the edge of your seat. There's just emotion, there's story, there's heart. I don't know what else to say, really. When I said earlier you stole my score, it wasn't just because of the phrase. It's a 4.6 as well. Oh, that is an excellent score, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Something occurred to me during Marie's review which is that we have had a crying doctor who's a bit prone to snogging before in Tenants. And back then, we didn't like either of those manifestations in him. But here, they both happen in the same episode. And none of us have criticised it yet. Yeah, but this is the love of his life. This is his wife. They are married. They spend a 27-year-long night of passion. 24, uh, but yeah. 24, (laughs) fine, whatever. That's my mistake. Yeah, I mean, after 20 years, really, you know. 27 would be ridiculously long. (laughs) It's because it's appropriate. It's their appropriate responses to the situation. Because... As Jim was talking, I realised something. The scene at the beginning where he is really emotional and it's unexpected because it's, a, I guess, an overreaction to, at that point, we don't really know what Trenzalore is. But does he know he's going to his death? Yeah. It yeah, is, I think isn't so. it? Like this, We've established this is where he dies and it's only Clara's actions that save him. So he's effectively thinking, this is it. This is the end. For me as a Time Lord to go to my tomb... It seems really silly that you, if you're a time traveller, that you can't go and visit your grave. Obviously you can, and you would. If you were a time traveller, morbid as it seems, you probably would show up and pop some flowers on your grave at some point, because why wouldn't you? Or like, maybe pour out some vodka on it. It just seems like the respectful, the self-respectful thing to do. But what you kind of presupposed, or what I presupposed up until that point, was as long as he stays away from Trenzalore, he can't die, because he knows that he will die on Trenzalore. But it's not said that he dies on Trenzalore, it's said that he is buried on Trenzalore. And then when they've opened the TARDIS, it's then clarified that because he is in close proximity to his time stream, there are paradoxes happening, which means that he can go to Trenzalore as long as he doesn't enter the tomb. There's no risk of paradoxes and he won't die and he's not in danger, nor is the universe. So why doesn't he go to Trenzalore? Like, what's the... Fucking problem, people. Because you've had giant blue men all the way along saying, the fall of the 11th, Doctor Who, all that business. This has been teased for years at this point. I I suppose that is true. Has River said it as well? I'm sure I can picture a scene where River was talking to a third party and saying he knows not to go to Trenzalore because that's where he dies. Okay, so that makes perfect sense in his case, but his other statement does not make sense. The statement of, if you are a time traveller, there is one place, one point in space and time that you should never go to. See, I really liked that, though, if they'd only stuck to it. I thought, this is some great new timey-wimey lore they're introducing. Yeah, you should never go LAW, to the but, it, you know... The it makes of- perfect sense that you should never, as a time traveller, as long as you want to stay alive anyway, go to the point in space and time where you know that you die... 
but that is not the same thing as going to the place where you are buried. Because he had died long before they arrived on Trenzalore in this episode, his tomb was already there. Like, he was already dead, right? But it's going to where you're buried that is the actual problem, because you're not a body, which I also liked, yeah, me by too. the way. Yeah, me that too. was great. That, that was, was really clever. Yeah, that is a real hard sci-fi concept, isn't mm. it, that? That it's just a swirling time scar. Yeah. That's fantastic. So That you can yeah. walk into. Yeah. <laughs> Are yeah. you going to have Dr. Fanatics just stumbling into his time scar? Because they don't know the password. <laughs> okay, but every other John time... Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just stand in front of that room with a dictionary going from beginning to end or a list of Time Lord yeah. baby names. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Alan Freya baby names. <laughs> <laughs> Xandor, Gnarflex. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Shall we listen to what Podcast Land has to say about this? Mm. Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah, why not? This is now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. We got some listener minis. Big fat two of them. First up, we've got Michael Ridgeway. Love you, Michael. <laughs> Hello there, Michael. Michael's given us a mix of likes and beefs in one jumble. So I don't know. We just so you get, have to work out whether guess, I think. he's saying this positively or negatively. Yeah. Or sarcastically. Uh. <laughs> Opening classic Doctor Fest. <laughs> Sarcastic. No. That's genuine. That's genuine. Yeah, genuine. <laughs> Except for the second Doctor clip, that looks rubbish. Why is he wearing a fur coat in the Bahamas? Yeah, fair point. <laughs> Next, it's those bloody kids again. Fuck off! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Doctor in tears and the music. Track 33, best score on season 7 soundtrack. BAFTAs all round, please. Ooh, where the fuck is my Yeti? And no, stock footage from Classic Who doesn't count. Mm. The Yeti was the Yeti of this story. The Whisper Man, holy moly, scariest baddie since the Weeping Angels. Underwear change, please. <laughs> Hot. Michael's next is short but sweet. Trenzalore looks great. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> Maybe actually it's the thing that looks least great. I think this episode in general looks fantastic. But Trenzalore is fairly stock murk. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Although Michael thinks the actual Battle of Trenzalore sucks, as revealed in the upcoming crap fest of Christmas yet to come. Does that demean this episode? Excuse me, did I not previously say cut to next episode? <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, on Trenzalore. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. And we're getting into a meaty thing here. So if I'm going to buy this time stream malarkey, says Michael, I require the following. Number one. Star Wars Special Edition Revisionism by the BBC to insert Clara into every classic and new adventure. <laughs> Number two. Clarity over which victories the great intelligence has reversed. Is it every victory or just one per doctor? Some villains have posed existential threats to the universe, Davros's reality bomb and the Time Lord's end of time scheme, and reversing victories would leave the doctor a very dead. Would the doctor and the universe have reconciled into nothingness had Clara not jumped in? Well... Yes. Super fair questions. That's a thinker. 
And Michael continues, he has a revised theory of Classic Who's Dragonfire's infamous cliffhanger. It was the great intelligence that forced the seventh doctor off the ledge all along. Either that or it rocked up, realized this doctor was perfectly capable of destroying himself and bemusedly moved on to Doctor Eight. <laughs> I'd like to think that. John Hurt, legend, we miss you. And in summary, says Michael, name blew me away at the time as Matt Smith's finest hour. It doesn't quite hold up nowadays, but still great ideas, performances and production. Michael concludes with a rating of 4.8 out of 5 creepy whispermen stopping people's hearts. Yuck. And then being sued by the gentleman in Buffy the Vampire Slayer for copyright infringement. Yes, 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 yes. We said this pre-recording as well. <laughs> that the episode that doesn't quite hold up still gets a 4.8 yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) everyone's getting super emotional approaching the end of smith i think oh Oh. this is a fantastic mini maxi (laughs) (laughs) michael thank you very much i wonder would it be possible to follow michael on twitter i suspect i do hope so Trick question, yes, of course you can. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. Love you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. You're so fertile. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Next up, we have Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill. Hello, Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill begins. Silence will fall when the question is asked. The question that must never be answered. The oldest question in the universe. Well, they asked it, and River answered it, and silence almost fell? Except it didn't. <laughs> oh, <Whoops>. no. <laughs> <laughs> Can we re-record the last hour and a half? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's not fair. <laughs> the oldest writing in the universe is Hello, Sweetie. So the oldest question would seem to be the earliest people looking at the cliff asking, who is Sweetie? With the answer being a name. Unless the question is actually, what is the Hippocratic Oath? And the answer is the promise the doctor made when he chose the name (laughs) Doctor. (laughs) Is this Jeopardy? (laughs) I feel like when the oldest people in the world looked at that cliff, they would have gone, what are squiggles? Not (laughs) who is sweetie. But yeah, I I take your meaning, Star Wars Hill. Star Wars Hill continues. It's all meant to sound epic. The music says that much at least. But I'm not sure all the pieces add up. Maybe they will. And I'm just being distrustful. To put a stop to the distrustful train, have some happinesses. We had so many wonderful Clara outfits this episode. I loved the Whisperman poem at the beginning, though it got a little unwieldy as they added stanzas through the rest of the episode. Mm. Also, this TV show tells us what the question is. Who the hell is Sweetie? And the answer is wishy-washy at best so far. But fortunately, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, while forgetting what the most important question was, remembered the answer. Ladies and gents, I present you the Doctor's birth name. 42. <laughs> and Stella still gives this a rating of 4.6 out of 5 tombstones because I love this episode too much to go with a poetic 4.2. That's a pretty great That's rating. That's a pretty awesome That's rating. Very yeah, yeah. popular rating. Yeah. <laughs> Stella Sill, come over here. Let's have a massive high five. <laughs> People of Podcast Land who are not Star Wars Hill, you can follow Star Wars Hill on Twitter. Star Wars Hill can be found at Star Wars Hill. 
Wars sale. Sale. Star Wars sale. Star Wars sale. Star Wars sale. Thanks so much, Star Wars sale. Thank, Thank you, you very Star much. We just harmonised. Oh. oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, that's not. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Can't sing that. Oh, true. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, Leon, I think you need to tell Podcast Land what is coming down the tracks. Right. Okay, dokie. So here's the dealio because we're approaching the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> classic Who. Our Classic Who reviews are going on a teeny, teeny, tiny break. And instead, we are going to treat you to some absolutely incredulous episodes. <laughs> Next up, we have in store for you, Podcast Land, in order of appearance, Night of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor, a special bonus episode, Doctor Who 50th Anniversary Convention Reunion episode featuring surprise guests. <laughs> don't want to get into too many details because spoilers <laughs> that's right river song will be on that episode uh, then we have the five-ish doctors reboot a very special doctor who trivial pursuit games night with drinking penalties on a school night then situation vacant an audiobook then time of the doctor the very last matt smith episode oh but yay for all that wonderful who content <laughs> And somewhere in there we'll get an earthly child done as well. That's right. On the audio channel. And when all that is done, after which, should say, Marie and Jim are going on a happy jaunt around the world, more or less. (laughs) (laughs) And Classic Who is going on holiday. Then we will return with, what's it called? The Tal- oh shit. (laughs) The Talons of Weng Chiang. (laughs) Yes. So stay tuned for that. We'll drop the aforementioned, if you listen to our latest Classic Who episode, we'll drop the aforementioned a fantastic article about the talons of Wen Chiang and about racism in Classic Doctor Who beforehand as a little teaser for the upcoming wave of Classic Who reviews to come. Marvellous. Yeah, you've got three or four weeks to head on over to the whobackwen.com slash blog. Exactly. Mm-mm. In the meantime, people can say hello to us on Twitter. Jim. Hello. Yes, people can say hello without pointing fingers at me oh, by sorry. going to at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now, sorry? No, 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 Jimmy the Who. Have you registered Jimmy the what now yet? <laughs> no, if I registered all the things you had, I would have far too many things to take care of. I will register it for you <laughs> before someone else does it. <laughs> they can be Jimmy the what now. I'm Jimmy the Who. It's fine. <laughs> Marie, you are not on Twitter, correct me if I'm wrong. Sadly not. Sadly not. But Podcast Land, fret not, you can email Marie at whobackwen.gmail.com and all of your missives shall be forwarded accordingly. Drew, you are on Twitter, though. I am at Drew Backwen. Incredible branding. Just gets better with age. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at Punkin. Throw some Scrabble pieces on the floor. Odds are it'll spell it. If only we knew someone who knew how to spell that, who we could <laughs> ask. Who might be able to join us for some sort of trivial pursuit of spelling. Indeed. Until the next time, thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Rock on and cha ciao. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Kablam.
Alamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey, Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?